Before we get started, today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by Paperclips. Staples, they're, they're small, they're sharp, they're hard to take out. Why don't you try some Paperclips? They're easy to use, they slip on and off. They're everyone's friend. They're like, it's like everyone's friend. So next time you're in a rut and need to put some papers together, try Paperclips. Raymond, let them know where they can find us. You can like us at facebook.com slash thegoldcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at thegoldcast underscore, as well as Instagram under at thegoldcast. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of The Goldcast. If you're on YouTube, make sure to click the little bell so you can get notifications as to when we go live with our podcast, which will broadcast on all three of those latter programs, including it will be posted on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, and, you know, let's give a big shout-out, Ray. Thank you very much to all of our brand-new subscribers on YouTube. We got over over 100 subscribers, so now we have our official URL, which is youtube.com slash thegoldcast, which we're really excited. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Goldcast, the voice of the faithful, the voice of the Bay Area fan. Uh, we've got two big topics today, Raymond, we're going to get into right now. We're going to get into Draymond Green and a little bit about the Warriors today. And then we're also going to talk about the 49er draft and why we disagree with a lot of the initial mock boards that are going out there. So a uh, big episode. Here we go. Let's, let's make it happen. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Rudy Sousa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis the first, baby. Boom! All right, Raymond, a big week in sports has just ended. We had the All-Star break, which means we are officially at the halfway point of the NBA season. No, before we even get started, we're going we're to talk a lot about Draymond Green. I want to know... First half of the season, Warriors, give me your professional fanalist assessment. I think the Warriors are on an incredible streak. I mean, they're obviously not going to top last year's regular season win streak, although, but who cares about that? Nothing. I mean, like Jordan said, it doesn't matter without the chip. But atop the entire NBA is terrific. The Spurs are right behind them, 43-13. and 13. The Rockets, after that, the Clippers. I think they won four games in a row coming into the All-Star break. So they'll most likely be in the mix in the playoffs. I don't chat of them if they're going to go against the Warriors. But considering that they had a Kevin Durant to acclimate this season, I think they didn't really skip a beat. I think they got better defensively. KD obviously is having one of his best seasons statistically in terms of defense. We know offensively he's doing exactly what he's always done including improving, trying to improve his perimeter shooting from the three-point range, which is great to see. Draymond Green is Draymond Green. Clay and Curry have seemed to find their groove. They were a little slow coming out of the gate because they were KD to kind of get his space and allow him to, time to assimilate to the team. But now that that's happened, everyone's kind of seems to find their groove. So I think in the second half, we're really going to see the Warriors turn it on. But I still think that health is going to be a big driving force for them. Like it's been all season long. Even Curry opted out of the three-point shooting contest, even though there was no significant health hazards per participating in that it's not like the dunk contest but for curry especially considering how he performed in last year's finals health was a bit is a big thing for him this season because all that matters to him is winning chips and which is totally fine with me if i was a pro that's that would be my mindset over anything i mean the subsequent awards and accolades are fine and great but the ultimate is the championship that's that's the ultimate so i can't i don't blame him for that 
you know, and really, I don't really see, I think the East doesn't really pose a threat at this point, much like they looked last year. Cavaliers 39 and 16. The Celtics are right on their heels at 37 and 20. The Wizards aren't too far behind that either. So I think they're go- the Cavs are going to have a harder road this year getting to the finals than they did the last two seasons in a row. So I wouldn't be surprised if Celtics ended up in the finals against us. I don't necessarily think they beat us, although Brad Stevens is a good coach. But uh, but for the Warriors, I, I like everything I'm seeing. I just want to see how it's going to pan out in the second half because we got some guys out. So if David West comes back into the fold, we need Zaza Pachulia. You're definitely going to need two big guys like that to to play in their minutes because Zaza is a starter. West is part of the second unit team, so you need those big guys in there, especially when you get into the playoffs because everybody's going to be up in their game level. So I just want to see how how that's all going to fit in in terms of health and durability because I I want all the guys to be healthy. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's gonna be interesting. I I like that. That was kind of a bold prediction, Ray. You you think it's actually possible that the Celtics could upset the Cavs and go into the finals this year? Yeah, I think Brad Stevens is a really good coach. I think he schemes really well. He's he's played the Warriors really well. I think he plays the East very well in general. And at first, the Celtics kind of had a rough start coming into the season when they first started. But they've really turned it on uh, getting into the All-Star game. So I'm curious to see how they carry this momentum into the second half of the season. I'm not all that impressed with Tyron Lue, the Cavaliers coach. To me, he seems more like uh, I'm here to kind of facilitate some things. But, you know, I'm like my but also defer to my assistant coach LeBron James because he's going to have some ideas too and sometimes his ideas will supersede mine <laughs> so even though I know that there was there was the last year thing when there was the I think the the what was it the backyard talk that Tyron Tyron Lue shut down LeBron James at some point and kind of took more ownership of his role as head coach so but at the same time I I just think LeBron James ego is too big for him to just continually defer to somebody else like that just because he's, you know, his that's how big his head is. I mean, he's he, when they were on their losing streak, uh, he was the first one whining and kicking about, you know, them not having enough support and not having a, be- a good enough bench to, to sustain their game. So, you know, and then there was all those rumors about a Kevin Love trade, although Kevin Love's injured, so it doesn't have much trade value right now. So it's not really a smart move for any team, really. If, if I was an NBA team, I wouldn't want Kevin Love. I certainly wouldn't give up a uh, Carmelo Anthony to the Cavaliers for a Kevin Love at this point. So I just think they're not in a good place right now. I don't know if necess- they could easily turn it up. LeBron James and Kyrie Irvin are a fantastic duo. They've got some other good supporting cast members there. Tristan Thompson, he's great inside. So, but... I think um, I think the Celtics have a really good shot to knock them off. It just depends on I, I, for me. It's Brad Stevens is the X factor. Obviously, Isaiah Thomas is a force to be reckoned with this year, so that's that's been helping them a lot too. So, but we'll have to see how it turns out. I think, but I think if there's any year where the Cavaliers get knocked out and don't make it to the finals, I think this is the year. Ooh, that is that is one bold prediction, brother. Uh, you know, I. I would love it if if LeBron finally for one year would not get to the uh, the post. I would just like it to be uh, you know just have a challenge at some point. I mean he's just had similar to the the Patriots and their uh, AFC playoff runs. I mean he's just had a, an open lane so many times. You know it's been uh, it really hasn't there really hasn't been a whole lot of opposition that has stood his way in the Eastern Conference. So I would love to see that. Let's move on. Let's talk about. 
our buddy Draymond Green. I'm a little concerned. You know, getting ejected, here's the thing. I thought, you know, this has been talked a little bit, you know, back and forth in some of the trades. Here's, let's talk about Draymond Green gets fouled out. He is ejected from the game last week against the Kings, okay? And he, you know, he, 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 uh, on his podcast, he talks about uh, the Dolan and Oakley situation and it being a slave mentality. And I, I don't, I don't, I know Draymond's super opinionated. I love his emotion. I just get worried because I really feel like last year, the situation with him and LeBron uh, that got him ejected out of Game Five, right? It was Game Five, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the situation in Game Four that got him ejected in Game Five. I feel like if that situation doesn't happen. I think the Warriors win in Game 5. I think the Cavs are ready to lay down and die. But I think that that ejection was crucial to keeping them alive. I, again, I've seen the clip a million times. I don't really think anything happened. I think it was much ado about nothing. And I really do believe that LeBron was taking advantage of a situation uh, you know, to, to, to give his team the best advantage to win. I don't blame him. Everyone does that. I'm not, m- not knocking him for that. Having said that, I really do believe that the Warriors would have won had they gone into Game 5. The situations last week with Draymond, it just makes me feel like he still hasn't quite learned. I know that at the start of the season, he had a conversation with Steve Kerr, and he really wanted to take his game to the next level, and he really wanted to not not cost his team, you know, put his team in a precarious situation because of how emotional he is. And we love the emotion. You need a crazy defensive guy. That's what Draymond does. But does it concern you? Do you think that Draymond getting fouled out is a sign of bigger problems? And can this rear its ugly head in the post for you? What's your opinion on that? I think I don't think it's a, as big a deal as it was last year. I don't think it's going to carry into the playoffs. You got to remember last year, next to Boogie Cousins, who also has been the lead league leader in technical fouls the past two seasons in a row. Um, Draymond Green was number two last year. This year is number 21. So that's a huge difference. I mean, at the same time last year, I don't know what the difference was, but I know he was number two last season. This season, I know he's down to 21st right now. Boogie Cousins is still top the pack of the entire league in technical fouls. And he now plays with uh, the Pelicans, which is a huge move uh, recently during the all-star break that was a huge trade so we'll see what happens with the pelicans but enough about them in draymond's case i don't think it's a big deal because i think he has toned it down he does realize it i think there's a part of him that will always be that really intense player that is going to get those kinds of calls on him because that's just who his personality is but i think there is but we do know that there's another side of him that is grounded and level-headed. I mean, just listen to him when he talks in his interviews. I think he's very articulate. He talks about the game. Very, he's very knowledgeable about the game, and he's very humble. He doesn't, he doesn't really talk trash. He's not an arrogant when he speaks to the press. He's always very respectful of the other teams and other players on the other side of the of the role. Sometimes he he might like have like some kind of, you know, off cuff like sarcasm, but nothing really that's inappropriate. You know. So the the point is that that. That side of his temperament tells me that there's a part of him that is able to regulate himself and able to, you know, be reasonable and logical about the situation. I think there's some of that that carries over into his play, and that's why he's 21st in the NBA in tech fouls this season versus number two right behind Boogie Cousins. And that's because he does realize that this is a, that this is one of the things, not all of the things, but his ejection last season, last year in the finals was one of the contributing factors to them not losing. And I know that he, like Clay, like Curry 
jury will hold themselves accountable and not blame anybody else. So, and he even said that last season. So we know that that's something he's thinking about, but I don't know. I think this year he's going to go in with that in mind. You know, he, I think he's that type of player that sometimes might need a kick in the ass to, to realize if he's doing something that's, that's more detrimental than he realizes and getting ejected in game five or, you know, being, yeah, getting ejected and ineligible to play for game five was the rude awakening. So for him, he's definitely got that on his mind. And I think that's, I think it's illustrated itself this season, despite the fact that he got ejected, you know, against a shitty team like Sacramento. They still, they still blew him out. It was a wake up call because they blew him out by 42 points in the third quarter alone. Yeah, I understand. I just, I man, I get nervous. I really do. Here's the thing. I, I thought last year it was pretty much guaranteed that we were we were going to win uh, the chip. You know, I, I thought for sure. And then I, that's also the consensus this year. Yeah, and I, I got really, I got really nervous. I, I, you, as you know, I was very vocal. If we had a, uh, if we had the gold cast going through the off season of the Niners last year, I would have been extremely vocal because I was very vocal about how much I did not like them chasing the win streak. Remember that? I talked about mm-hmm. that over and over and over again. I thought it was a pointless thing to carry. I thought that it, um, it was going to burn them out. I'm not saying it burnt them out. There's a lot of, there's a lot of different factors that contributed to the Warriors not pulling it off at the end. And I definitely don't think that the streak was, you know, is something you could you could put it fully on the streak i'm not would never say that but i do think i I just i think the dream on he's so important and he's so emotional and i think that regardless of what regardless of what of whether or not he's doing better that's a great stat to point out and i think that's an important stat to point out that's huge it obviously shows that he has toned it down i still think the perception of him as being a bit of a wild card is still very prevalent and i think that it, it it, I just don't want it to rear its ugly head in the playoffs. And, and my hope is that being ejected last week is a wake-up call and we see Draymond being a little bit calmer as we move into the second half of the season. Because, I mean, this is turning... It's February 20th right now. I mean, we're literally about two months away exactly from the start of the NBA playoffs. It's going to be here before we even know it. You know, it's, it's coming. Yeah. And it's just important. Draymond is... Is so important. He's he's as important a factor as anyone else. His defensive prowess, his energy. He is the he's the heart and soul of that team in terms of its energy. And he is definitely in many ways their emotional leader. And we need him to be firing off. I don't think that the NBA Finals is a guaranteed. I don't think it's guaranteed that the that the Warriors are just going to win it. You know, it, it seemed guaranteed last year, and they were up three to one, and they still lost it. Anything can happen with those final two teams in the NBA Finals, and I, I, it's just important that he's focused, and that's just my fear. I think he'll be. I think he'll. I think he'll be all right this season. I hope so. Well, we're going to find out here in about two months. So let's move on, Raymond, to a little a little topic that I like to call why. Why all the 49er draft boards are wrong. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call this thing. And we've been, you know, there is a little bit of a shift now that, that we're seeing. I feel like, of course, the second we want to do a podcast about why we think the 49er draft boards are wrong, that is when everyone starts to do a shift. But there really seems to be this common idea that right now the 49ers are going to draft a quarterback with their first pick of the draft. And uh, Mitch Trubisky is one whose name has been called out before. Deshaun Watson's name has also been uh, touted out before. But you and I don't agree, and I want to hear your opinion first. Why do you why do you not agree that we're going to go with a quarterback first? Why are, why are these draft boards wrong? Well, because a lot of them have 
they have quarter they have us picking quarterbacks and I get it. Uh, a lot of people feel that quarterback is our biggest need right now. I think it's one of our biggest needs. It's one of many. But this year's draft crop is very poor in the quarterback category. So I think with that in mind, you go with the next available position. And that kind of works in the Niners' favor because it's not like we're in a position where, gosh, we don't need a linebacker, but that seems to be the best position in the draft in the early rounds. Uh, unfortunately, the Niners, you know, but but – there's a positive out of it is that one of the positions they do need desperately is middle linebacker and linebacker in general. So, and that seems to be a very good position in this year's draft, especially at number one and two, which we have the number two. So I think in this case, I think you got to go defense again, because that was a glaring issue. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily convinced that you go defensive tackle again, because you've already done that two seasons in a row. Although now the argument is, well, we're switching to a four, three. So, this means that we need to start picking personnel that's suited for a 4-3 when we've been picking guys to throw into a 3-4 scheme the last couple seasons. But I think you still need to work with the talent you've got. You've got two draft picks in defensive tackles, that one of, one of which who's coming along slowly but surely, the other who had a really solid rookie season in DeVorce Buckner. Eric Armstead still trying to catch up, I believe. That's what I saw. Plus, he had injuries last year as well that also slowed down his progress. But DeVorce Buckner seemed to be an unstoppable, gasless machine who did very well for a rookie. For a rookie. Let's keep that in mind here. He wasn't like, didn't outshine didn't make the pro bowl or anything like that but he hit all of his rookie marks over 70 tackles six and a half sacks really good for a rookie in his first year considering he played majority of i think he played more defensive snaps than any other rookie at his position so that's really good he can only get better we'll see how the four how he suits a four three but i think you need to go defense again I don't know if it's – I don't think it's defensive tackle. I think you start linebacker, then maybe go secondary or whatever the next position is. We'll have to see how – well, we won't see how the scouts and the Niners actually break all that stuff down. We'll, we'll have an inkling of it when they so actually select players. But, you know, any guess is as good as mine. But I can tell you right off the bat that I don't think they need to go quarterback. You, you take your bets, either keeping Kaepernick to help groom the next guy that you draft in the later rounds, either second or third – for your quarterback or you try to make a bid for Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins. And that I think that's the general consensus that I think the 49ers are trying to do at this moment. I agree. I don't think that we're going to be picking a quarterback. Sean Watson has 17 interceptions. Mitch Trubisky, I think, is still unproven. And I think that there's so many glaring issues with this team. I think you build this team and I think what you do is you build around this position and then you worry about this position through free agency or trade and then possibly you try and draft your quarterback of the future next year. Yeah, that could be another route. I mean, Mitch Mitch Trubisky is going to be opting out of his senior year when he had a breakout junior year. Uh, he didn't do much in 2014 or 2015 or 2014. He wasn't even starting. Then once he got the start, he had 30 touchdowns, six picks, over 3,700 yards passing, near over 68% completion percentage which is great. I think those are great numbers. Really good completion percentage. His rating was 158. That's off the charts. But again, I think you need another year of grooming in the college ranks before you come try to play at the pro level. A junior coming in from Division One football to NFL is even more difficult than if you were a senior coming in from Division One to the NFL. It's you're you're asking you're asking to be 
to have a really difficult transition. And, and kudos to him if he has the confidence and thinks he can do it. Uh, you know, I can't blame the guy if he wants to do it. You know, if you want to get paid now or wait another year, you know, that's that's not that's, that's an easy argument to make. But at the same time, I just don't think – I certainly wouldn't pick him if I was the Niners. I think that would be a terrible mistake. But I have a lot of faith in John Lynch and – Kyle Shanahan to get it done. I they seem like the type of guys that would also be in agreement with us and say like, hey, this is a this is a an issue, but at the same time, I'm not sure if our guy is sitting there at number two, you know, court in terms of quarterbacks. I'm not sure if our guy is should be selected at number two. I think we should check down the line. Jimmy Garoppolo was not a first round pick. He had an outstanding uh, his last season at college where he broke out, but at the same time, he was pick was a late second round pick. I think sixty second overall in the second round. So, you know, you, you the point is not all your best apples are are on the first branch. You know, and in this year's draft, you definitely want to pick later. Yeah, I call that the glass slipper syndrome, which football teams love to fall into in the draft. The glass slipper syndrome. So, you know, Cinderella she Cinderella loses her glass slipper. And Prince Charming has a glass slipper and he's trying to find Cinderella. And when he comes to the two stepsisters, they do everything in their power to fit in that glass slipper. But they're not. They're the only one person can fit in that, that glass slipper and that's Cinderella. And I think oftentimes what teams do is they get the glass slipper syndrome and they just take that shoe and they try to force it onto any foot they come across. They try to force a player you know, they try to they convince themselves through months of of analyzing that all of a sudden this guy's gonna be their savior when we all know it's just a stepsister and it's not really Cinderella. You know, and that I think that's what the 49ers have to avoid. They have to avoid that, that glass slipper syndrome and just trying to force that trying to force that shoe on a player who's actually not ready and isn't capable of leading us. And honestly, I believe I believe most of the draft boards are wrong. I really don't believe they're gonna draft a quarterback. That's why we named this segment why why Niners draft boards are wrong. Like I, I don't think they're gonna draft a quarterback quarterback i really don't i don't believe it they 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 see they see that you know cap might be on his way out if a deal can't be negotiated to keep him or if john and kyle don't think he fits the program then 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 yeah Uh, but but you know what they said the same thing last year and we went defense so i knew they were going to go defense even though everyone was saying quarterback but um i feel the same way this year i uh, if, if if it was a rich quarterback class then to me it would make more sense. It'd be an easy pick actually. Be like, oh yeah, quarterback. Yeah, there's like three dudes, and you know you're bound to get one of them because your your number one, you know, is probably going to go this or or that or you know we know the Browns. The Browns have two number one picks, so they could trade for their quarterback at that point. They're in a better position to trade than we are because they have two first round picks to play with, so they can jettison one of those and still be still be poised to pick somebody in the first round. So if I was the Browns, it's that's kind of an easy move to make in terms of trade deals. We'll see if the Niners do something like that. I don't necessarily think it's quarterback at number two. I, I would be very, very surprised if we did that. But I have a good feeling about John Lynch. Even Kyle Shanahan has emphasized a couple of times along with Lynch that they're going to be patient with the quarterback process. And I think that also includes who you select with your number two draft pick, considering the quality of quarterbacks coming into this draft. Yeah, and from all from all we keep hearing over and over again. Now I don't watch the college; I only watch the pros. I only watch men play. But from what I'm yeah, hearing, I don't, I'm I don't hearing, watch that shit. <laughs> from, what I, from what I'm hearing about the college level, there's just not many many quarterbacks, and I trust it. I just find it interesting that 
analysts, because that's most, our most glaring hole, they just automatically assume that that's, that's where, where it's going to happen. And I, I, I just don't think that could be any further from the truth. Part of the problem is a lot of these guys that do these mock drafts, unless they're like a writer who works for, say, Niners Nation, then, yeah, it's a little bit different. But a lot of guys like Mayock and all those other guys, they're covering all 32 teams. So they're not spending a whole lot of time analyzing all the teams as, as much as we're analyzing the Niners. So because they're, they have to cover such a broad spectrum, they'll kind of do a quick whitewash of every team. Like, okay, what's the biggest need for the Niners? Quarterback. So let's just, all right, my mock here is a quarterback. That's how it is. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to discredit their job. It's a tough job because you have to cover so many different teams. You have to cover 32 teams. So I get it. I get it that you can't spend as much time as we do on our team because we don't care about the other teams unless it pertains to our team. So for, for the draft mocks, I mean, that's what you got to keep in mind. That's why it's like, oh, why do they get it wrong? Well, it's not that they're getting it wrong it's just like you know they they're kind of they're not spending as much time on it as as you fans are or us fans so that's one of the reasons too yeah exactly i mean they do have a really big job this definitely isn't a knock on them as uh, their profession or it isn't a knock on on what they what they do but definitely without question we're, we're not we're not taking a quarterback there's no way market here you heard it here first uh on the gold cast we're not taking a uh we're not taking a QB. And I think we're going defense. defense too. Now, interestingly enough, though, Rim, and I, you know, as far as I understand it, this, this draft class is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty stocked with defensive tackle. And you don't think we go defensive tackle again, though? Not first. No, I think, I think you go, because we're going to, when free agency hits, here's the thing. If we pick up a defensive tackle in free agency, who's proven, who can fill in some of those gaps in the 4-3 system that we want to implement, then that immediately changes the landscape of what your of what your draft pick is going to be. If you don't find that defensive tackle within free agency, we know that we're going to Mitch with uh, Earl Mitchell from the Miami Dolphins, who's going to fill it, who would, who would play essentially the nose tackle for us or well you know he would be the in, he would be your inside guy to plug holes and allow your allow your gaps to get plugged in by the linebackers and your 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 neighboring defensive tackle so we know that if 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 they pick up a defensive tackle in free agency then i think linebacker or secondary is what you see in in the draft with the first number 2 pick however if we don't pick up that defensive tackle i wouldn't be surprised if we go defensive tackle for a third year in a row the only reason is because we're switching to a 4-3 and just like what we were trying to do with the 3-4 under defense last season which was to have a lot of substitutes in there to keep guys fresh the 4-3 also demands that too you're doing a lot of defensive tackle rotations and even though it's a 4-3 meaning that there's three defensive line um three defensive linemen four i'm sorry four defensive linemen three linebackers in your backfield that's traditionally what the 4-3 looks like but if you look at seattle play teams like that even atlanta falcons with dan quinn you'll notice that the 4-3 even though the base package is a is a four and three it is it'll look like a three four and that's part of the deception of the looks because it's because they don't you don't you're not supposed to know what what's going to happen or what what look you're going to get or what coverage is going to be out of that or what stunt or what blitz is coming that's the whole purpose so though your base is four three it's going to look a lot like three four what we've seen with the niners the last few years but so that's my prediction if they get the free agency then yeah, then expect linebacker and secondary in the second round pick. 
if I mean with the number two pick, if they don't fill those gaps in, then I wouldn't be surprised to see another defensive tackle again because of the defensive scheme we're switching to. Boom. There it is. Raymond dropping it with the true blue fanalist perspective. I love it. So, Ray, before we sign off, I got to tell you a little bit about my my where I was at tonight. For the first time ever, I was at Monday Night Raw. Nice. It was so so good. It was so good. It was so good being there. Who fought? So pretty much all the big guns were there. Kevin Owen opened with this big promo because he uh, he he like he like turned he finally turned on his best friend Chris Jericho last last week. Uh, who else we had? We had a surprise bout between Charlotte and Charlotte Flair and Sasha Banks. They were in a they were in a little feud. They were they were to, so basically what happened was is that. Charlotte lost the belt to Bailey last week, and she lost the belt. She lost the belt to Bailey, and they were. She was. She was demanding that Bailey relinquish her, the title because she had lost it unfairly. Like Sasha, so Sasha snuck in, and she basically helped Bailey win it, kind of like the way heels normally do. You know, like when a heel kind of helps another heel win. That's kind of what happened. But it was baby faces helping baby faces. And so Charlotte was saying, you should you should relinquish the title like you won it unfairly. And so Stephanie McMahon came out and, you know, she she I saw Stephanie McMahon. That was pretty cool, too. And uh, she was there and she had a conversation. She's like, you need to give up your belt. Like, you know, if you're a real champion, think of all the little girls out there. And then Sasha came out and was like, no, you need to hold on to that belt. Then Charlotte came out and Charlotte's like, you need to give me my belt back. And it was like all the ladies were in the ring at once. And then at the last second, Bailey's like, no, I'm keeping my belt. And they're going to fight for it at Fastlane. And so then Charlotte challenged Sasha Banks to uh, a match tonight. And then uh, and Sasha won and Charlotte lost again. But it was pretty good. There was also Braun Strowman versus The Big Show. There was a battle for the number one contendership for the tag titles, and that involved uh, the club versus Enzo uh, Enzo Amore and Cass, and they were fantastic as well. And then afterwards, what was really interesting was The Rock. The Rock came out in the beginning and told us they're going to film a movie after Raw. And as soon as Raw was done, they filmed. We spent another hour. Probably, I mean, they might have. They were still filming when we left, but they spent another hour filming this movie that they're doing on Page. They're doing a movie on Page, and the movie is. uh, It was pretty cool because they like they recorded us like all cheering and then all booing and then saying a couple different famous chants and then pretending that we saw a crazy move, pretending we 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 had a little clap. We had a medium-sized clap, then we had this huge cheer, and then they had the actresses. They just filmed us cheering at first. Then they had the actresses come out, and it was an actress playing A.J. Lee and an actress playing Paige. It was the night Paige won the title um, on Monday Night Raw. And so they would do the like the movements like so they'd go through most of the match and then right at the point where like like they were gonna like page was gonna body slam aj lee or aj lee was gonna like body slam page they would like stop and then they would drop onto the floor and then act like they did it and then they wouldn't do the big spots and then they brought in a stunt double for page and then they did the whole match with all the big with all the big bumps with all like the suplexes and the body slams and all the stuff that, that the actress couldn't physically do it was just a trip to watch, and The Rock was there the whole time. He called CM Punk, and uh, because everyone kept chanting CM Punk because that's AJ Lee's husband, and uh, we he 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 called him. 
he didn't pick up. It went to message. So we all chanted uh, in on loudspeaker in his uh, in, on his phone, and it was pretty cool. It was it was it was like a really cool event. The music was amazing. The the bumps in person, like the punches and the kicks and and the body slams, man, everything looks way crazier and more violent in person. Obviously, like you know, in person, like the movements are faster and, and it's moving because you know with your you know your your human eyes watching it and right, it's all real time. Yeah, it's all real time and. Uh, Everything looks way more intense in person. Like, and they've got, they must have huge, like, like, uh, microphone speakers underneath the ring. Cause, man, when you do body slams, it reverberates through that entire ring and you can hear that sucker. It, everything sounds so loud. And when people are doing the crazy flips and everything, it just looks, it looks so super intense in person. Yeah. Really, it was really good. Awesome. Yeah. Really, really good. I definitely recommend it. Like, if there is uh, a Monday Night Raw, and you're able to get some tickets uh, up north. You should definitely check it out. It was it was like the it was so much fun. Like I actually liked it ten times more than even seeing it on TV. It was way better live than it was. How much are TV. tickets normally? I don't really know. Um, my buddy had these tickets, so you know they were comped. So I had, I got I was real lucky. I didn't have to pay for the tickets. I just was I just got to go, which was really nice. But yeah. Hey, that, what do you think? What uh, off topic? Um, what do you think of the Niners' defensive coordinator? Oh, you know, we didn't talk about that. Um, you know, I don't really know anything about him at all. I, I thought it was a, a rather curious um, curious hire. It wasn't a sexy hire, that's for sure. No, not even close. No, I mean, you know, I don't know. The Jaguars are just, they're just so synonymous with failure. They're like the Cleveland Browns. I don't really, I was kind of like, okay, that's weird. So we'll see. I, I don't know. I, the, my, um, I know so little about him. I'm gonna hold any opinion about him until we we get going into the regular season. I'll let you know how I feel by week eight. I'll tell you the the only thing I like about him is the fact that he was the defensive quality control coach for the Seattle Seahawks from 2011 to 2013, and for those of you. For, for those of you who don't know what that position is, it's kind of an entry-level position into the NFL for coaching. And what the quality control guy does is he basically gets – he scouts ahead of the regular coaching staff. So like while, so like at the beginning of the season, he's going to scout every single team on your schedule, get all of the footage to scheme against them, prepare all of the footage, and prepare all of the statistics to prepare for that team. So like, Hey, this is how many, this is what they do on third down. This is what they do in the red zone. Here's the percentage of their run plays versus pass plays within red zone or on, on third and long or third and short or first and first and long, first and short, second and long, so on and so forth. Here's their fourth down conversion rate. Here's their challenge plays, all of that stuff. That's what the quality control guy does. And he was in that role from 2011 to 2013 when Seattle was at their absolute peak, including back-to-back Super Bowl championship runs. So he was the guy preparing Dan Quinn and company to perform the way they performed against each team each and every single week, including the playoffs and the Super Bowl. So that means that he's got a pretty strong degree or pretty good eye and nose for scouting teams, preparing for teams. So now instead of being the guy who scouts ahead, so while Seattle's you know on week one, he's already moved on to week two and he's preparing for the next week. So he's already you know one, two weeks ahead of the original coaching staff because all of that material and those statistics have to be prepared before time. So it's actually 
even though it's an entry level job for coaches, it's a really important job. It's super, super important because, and, the, and the, that's why there's an offensive quality control guy and a defensive quality control guy. They both have the exact same job, and they're both usually one week ahead of the entire coaching staff because of all the prep they have to do. So that's the one thing that I'll take away from him because that was his job, and Seattle was amazing. They Their schemes, their game planning week in and week out during that three-year stretch was absolutely phenomenal. Their defense seemed like it was absolutely unstoppable and he is one of the contributors of all of that success so that's the one claim to fame that i'll give him other than that he didn't do much in jacksonville or even before seattle a couple linebackers that went to pro bowls under his under his coaching but nothing nothing really outside of that seattle stretch there was nothing really significant i could find so there you go. I mean, like I said, I, I don't really know. I, I really couldn't tell you one way or the other how I feel about him. I, I'll, I'll let you know by week eight how I feel about him. But that was definitely something that was worth breaking up. It's a Jordan Soleil, right? That's how you say his name? Robert Robert Soleil. Oh, Robert Soleil. Sorry, Robert. Where did I get yeah, that Jordan from? A, I don't know. <laughs> well, there it is. So definitely check us out on YouTube iTunes and Stitcher, youtube.com slash the goldcast. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook, facebook.com slash the goldcast, Twitter at the goldcast underscore, and our brand new Instagram page at the goldcast. Definitely, if you want to get little tidbits and snippets and social media updates on when we're posting our brand new podcast, check us out on Instagram at the goldcast. Don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. Share, like, and subscribe. Tell a friend, especially if they're Bay Area and they like the Warriors, the Niners, and the Giants. Man, I can't wait for baseball to get started. We're so close, Ray. We are very close. You know that pitchers and catchers have reported. all Everything right now is just physical conditioning. It's just making sure guys are in shape, guys are ready. As, we get, as the months go on, especially as we get closer to April, we're going to start to see – see things come into the fold in terms of what the rotation is going to be. The Giants, I'm still not sure what their final rotation is going to be. I know with who their number three, two, three, I think their their first four guys are fine. It's that fifth spot in the rotation that we're all trying to figure out who's going to be. I think you definitely need to part ways with uh, Babyface. What's his face? I can't remember his name. That That's that's how far removed he is from the 2012 championship run. Uh, Matt Cain. Mm, mm, ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's time for him to go. God, the second we paid him his money, man, it's like that's curse. The second you pay somebody their money in baseball, it's like the very next year they're inconsequential. It's like that's guaranteed, yeah. right? The second you drop them their money. You're always, I feel like the, ex- you're, oh. the exception is Don, Johnny Cueto, who got a killer free agent deal and then – out, you know, oh, exceeded the expectation yes. this past season with us. He was such a beast. He is a beast. I love him. But all right. So, Raymond, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ray Solis. Awesome. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Rudy Solis Third, Rudy Solis Three R D. So concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Rudy Solis the Third, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Goldcast time, same Goldcast channel. This is, is the Goldcast.